Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Megan Lee. I'm Lucy Hounsom. And I'm Charlotte Bond. So while we were all winding down for Christmas, Charlie Brooker and the Black Mirror gang were getting ready to mess with our minds yet again. On December 28th, we saw the release of the one-off interactive Netflix special Bandersnatch to mixed reviews. But no one can deny it was an interesting experiment, combining elements of video games, choose-your-own-adventure stories, and television. Before we get stuck into, you know, the actual nitty-gritty of Bandersnatch as an episode, I wanted to take a look at, like, the history of choose-your-own-adventure stories, because I don't know about both of you, but I have very fond memories of them from when I was a kid, especially Goosebumps. Well, this is where we, we differ slightly because um, being the oldest and uh, crumbliest member of this podcast. Or I, wisest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking back through it and it was all the um, the early 1980s ones that I saw. Because you have to remember where I grew up, we had no library. We had a little mobile library that drove around to our school sort of once every four weeks or whatever. Um, and we could pick from the very limited selection of books there. Um, so I, I vaguely remember getting the same couple of choose your own adventures out and I went back through the, um, I went back through the covers that you forwarded to us and I reckoned it was either Secret of the Dolphins, Everest Adventure, Treasure Divers or Journey Under the Sea because all those covers look quite, you know, quite familiar to me. But Goosebumps came out, I think, after I was reading that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I missed it. Or alternatively, our mobile library didn't stock it. It's hard to tell one way or another. <laughs> The only um, the kind of choose your own adventure book I had was not I'm not sure if it was the the branded version. I just had a book called Funfair of Evil. Does anyone <laughs> remember that? No. <laughs> Funfairs are really creepy. Really creepy. Fact. Uh, you know, like yes. Wall of mirrors, clowns. <laughs> yeah. So it's perfect for that kind of thing. But I remember it was one of the kind of books where you walk into the abandoned funfair and you've got you know do you go towards the helter skelter or the ghost train and you have to pick and then it says turn to page 24 so it was that kind of thing and you have to go through and hope that you get there's only one way through the funfair of evil i mean you you picked up on an important point so yeah the the actual book genre is called game book though we all kind of know it know it as choose your own adventure but that's actually the trademark name of a specific series and it's interesting because i never really realized that i just thought that was the kind of story they were but now uh they uh, choose your own adventure. They're actually suing Netflix because they do call them that in Bandersnatch as well. I don't think it's going to fly because it's one of those things that's become, you know, common usage, but it's uh, an interesting point. Well, the lawyer in me says maybe not, um, <laughs> but yeah? okay. it's a it certainly is synonymous with, um, you know, people who grew up in that era. I mean, I think one of the weird things about it is that it's gone away for so long. And I was having a look into this because. Obviously, um, I'm starting to try and collect books that I read when I was younger to read back through them and see if I can actually figure out where all of my current ideas and my current influences come from. Um, so I'm collecting quite a good a good little collection. And I was I looked into this about six months ago, trying to see if I could identify which one it was. And when I looked into it, some of them are actually being not so much reproduced as in reprinted so um i'm looking to get my daughter one for her birthday and there's one called i think something like riding the magical unicorn oh my god it can't possibly be called that that sounds really that, filthy yeah that so sounds dodgy. very yeah. filthy <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to maybe it's magic unicorn ride then i don't know but i'm gonna double <laughs> it's not getting better, Charlotte. <laughs> 
Um, but when I look back at it, because I found it on um, Waterstones or whatever, and I was like, oh, that'd be a really good one for it because it's updated and it's got a picture of a girl on the front. And then when I look back through some of the classic covers, there it was right at the beginning. And I was like, oh, wow. So clearly out of all of them, this is one of the few that's actually been reprinted throughout the years or has recently been reprinted because there's still a, a small interest in them. And I can only imagine that interest is going to grow now that we've had Bandersnatch, but maybe maybe it'll come and go and it'll just be a blip. Who knows? Well, I wonder if we'll see some um, adult choose your own adventures because I mean, I mean, Charlie Brooker is of our general generation and he obviously grew up with them and wanted to do something similar. How many people will have watched that and gone, oh, God, I remember those books and we'll look for something similar. Will there be a sudden rash of publishers producing choose your own adventure books? I'm pretty sure I saw a romance one, which I thought was a lovely idea. Choose your own romance. Should I accept his date or should I slap him in the face? I mean, this this sort of brings us to sort of like the history of these stories because you know we're saying oh things for adults but really like where this stuff comes from it's kind of been around for adults longer than it's been around for kids so supposedly Ayn Rand's play the night of night of January 16th um, where the audience decides if the defendant is guilty or innocent and there's two possible endings so and, and that was 1936 which i think is really cool the idea that you go to the theater and you actually get to decide how like the second half of the play i think that's very cool but um and i think lucy is gonna um equally geek out with me on um Warhus short stories uh the garden of forking paths which really kind of plays with that idea of multiple endings um but also an examination of the work of herbert how do i say this kane i'm, I'm gonna go for that uh, but that has nine possible endings and this, these are two short stories from 1941 so this is it's really cool there's like a really long history of this kind of thing and uh there's, there's also sort of like the the metatextual novel with uh, the french lieutenant's woman by john fowles where the narrator interjects into the story, offering three possible endings. And that's 1969. So these are all like adult novels um, where this kind of idea originated from, which I, I think is interesting because most of us, you know, we we know about the kind of the 80s ones, these choose your own adventure novels, and they were definitely marketed for kids. So it's interesting to look back at the history and see that it was more of an adult um, invention or you know, that that's where it came from. I thought that raises a really interesting question about whether it's for adults and children, because I feel like when it's for children, um, children are, I feel like, much more, in a way, active readers in the sense that reading a book for them, the escapism is not so important. I feel like as adults, we a lot of the reasons we pick books up is to, you know, as a form of escape, um, and then, therefore, I feel like, well, you know, if you're really invested in the story, would you really want to suddenly become an active participant in that story, in that narrative? You know, it, I feel like in a way it kind of undermines the escapist element a little bit. You know, you suddenly have to make decisions. Interesting. Uh, whereas, you know, if you're a child, you might not be quite so, you know, you might be happier to jump in and be like no I want to take an active uh, role in the storytelling but as an adult maybe you know we want to read the book to escape and we don't want to have to make these adult decisions we're reading to be in another world to be transported somewhere else we don't want to remember exactly who we are when we're in someone else's world but as a gamer 
you, I mean, I'm assuming part of the reason you like to game is the escapism. You then make yep. decisions for your character as well when you're gaming. That's true. It's true. It's you got me there, really. Well, it, <laughs> I feel like no, 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 no. I feel like with a game, I suppose you're kind of making decisions from the, the minute you log in or like you you power up. Whereas a book, you're not totally an active participant because you you know you're all you're doing really is turning the pages and kind of walking the world but you're not whereas a game you know like if you if you just stopped turning the pages as it were you would probably be killed by like a rampaging goat or something you know (laughs) you're level one you know you're gonna die (laughs) if you stand still and don't do anything in the same way that you know you effectively don't do when you're reading so I think the mediums are slightly different but I do take your point in the sense of you know you are a participant but I think I think I'd have to agree with Lucy on this one, thinking about it. <laughs> as, Bill <laughs> <No competition>. Bailey, <laughs> as Bill Bailey says, speaking as a mother, I would have to say that watching my daughter read stories, she's often stopping and asking questions and why does this happen and why does that happen? Um, and we just watched Inside Out this weekend um, with all the sort of unfair things that happen. And I wonder if for children there's, an element of control by doing a choose your own adventure because the one thing I notice about children is how very much controlled they are and I still try to give my child you know some freedom but at the same time she has to learn lessons like turn the tap off and don't cross the road and you have to do this and no you can't watch this film about megalodon it really isn't about a historic fossil and you really will be scared and I think for kids there must be an awful lot of just so much control and a book is a form of escapism but imagine if you're unhappy with the ending of a book and then you pick one up and you can actually choose how it ends so I imagine for some kids that must be absolutely fantastic if they've got no control over things around them to suddenly have control within something that would normally be passive it must be very mm-hmm. empowering um, having said that some of the other kids I've seen I think they would feel it very deeply and be very sensitive if they choose a choose your own adventure book and they chose wrong and got all the way to the end and ended up dying or something happened or you know it didn't have a a happy ever after I think they would then feel worse than they would do about a normal book because um, lots of kids I I think struggle to understand how their actions can have unhappy consequences it's like but but how did that happen? That's not fair. I didn't want that. And I think, again, it's quite a, a mental leap for kids. So I think Choose Your Own Adventure really does appeal to kids in general because it does give them this power and control. It gives them something they've never experienced before. And for many, that could be great. And for some, it can just be, you know, <laughs> really frustrating. I think also Lucy's point about, you know, approaching a book differently to how you'd approach a video game is kind of important here because the the whole genre of books are called game books. So this is like it is kind of a game. It's a it's a combination. It's the mashup of books and games. <laughs> that and and that's you can kind of see it in things like you know the tabletop games that sort of came out around the same time and text based adventure games like Zork. And basically, it was a whole kind of very early video game style which again bandersnatch kind of plays off where you were kind of using text but still choosing the path so in a way it's both approaching a book and a game when you come to these sorts of titles yeah yeah i definitely i don't i don't think it's one or the other i think it's a very clever melding of both because 
it it's it makes you an active participant in a way that just reading a book doesn't and it but it's not quite the same as playing a video game either. You're still having to sit back and have the narrative in a way taken away from you between the choices that you're making. So it's quite it's quite dark on one level, really, because I almost feel like it teases you with giving you, as we'll get onto later, I'm sure, the illusion of choice. But really, <laughs> yes. how much choice do you actually have? <laughs> Well, I mean, also, you've got to think when it comes to video games, you've got to think about the the kind of time that we're coming to video games. It's very different from, say, my dad's generation when they went to video games and started playing things like the very first text-based adventure games, you know. So it's, we, you know, before sandbox games, before you could have, like, just wander a world, you know, you had to go in specific paths. So even then it was also the very much the illusion of choice because you couldn't, you know, step off your two-dimensional platform or so on. Yeah, I think we need to sort of remember how far video games have come. A lot of these sort of game books, these choose-your-own-adventure stories, they, you know, we've seen a lot of them, they, they were for kids, but also they tended to be with speculative elements, except maybe, I don't know, Lucy's terrifying um, fun, fun fair. fair of evil. Yeah. No, that is speculative. Because oh, of, of evil. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it had evil in it. And the evil was unspecified. <laughs> well, I think there were, like, you know, beasties that swung from the broken tracks and things that hid in the ghost train and you weren't really Ooh. sure what they were. So I think it had definitely speculative so other than for traumatising young Lucy, I mean, <laughs> why do you think they work so well with speculative genre? I guess one of the things that game books and choose your own adventures really need to work are two very different um, options to really define you. I mean, when, we, when I was watching Bandersnatch, at the beginning it was like, do you want Frosties or, I don't know, Sugar Puffs? Thank you, there we are. <laughs> and, you know, that was a, a small one. And if I remember the choose your own adventure ones, uh, quite rightly it's usually a case of you know it's something small to start out with and then it builds up in the same way that bandersnatch did and i suppose the advantage to um something speculative is it gives you more options and it's more open to the imagination so if it's just a straightforward run-of-the-mill crime thing it's like do you go through the left or the right door do you examine this clue or leave it alone it's very much do or don't whereas if with speculative stuff you can take the reader into truly take them kind of out of just plodding along and, and choosing a direction, if that makes sense. I suppose it could take a darker turn with speculative elements, because if you are involved and if it is, you know, it is making you an active participant, drawing on, it's almost like you could draw on your childhood fears and, and things like childhood fears tend to manifest sometimes in, in you know, in kind of speculative um, forms. So, you know, in the sense of ghosts or monsters or the supernatural, I feel like those kind of elements, like things larger than life could really, um, it could have a really big impact in this in this genre. I think it makes it more eerie as well, that there's a possibility that, you know, the whole realm of your imagination is open to you. Have either of you ever thought about different, like, possible endings for a story or...? Because I, I wonder if if some of it comes about, you know, when an author comes up with a story and then goes, oh, actually, I could end it this way, but I could also end it this way. 
has mm. that ever happened or have you always known exactly what your story is going to end with uh yes um, <laughs> i feel like it's a really boring answer but i get quite invested in my character arcs and i feel like there's never I, I don't often know what the end is when I start out writing. I do have to work towards it. But it, when once it takes shape, um, I don't then feel like going through a whole kind of list of endings because for me that runs counter to the, the overall kind of development of a character. I feel like, you know, you can only... A character's ending in a book, especially at the end of a book, is usually defined by their choices that they've made earlier in the book. So I feel like you get to a stage where it really can only go one way. Um, otherwise, it would be false. Um, it would be acting counterintuitive to the decisions that they've made previously. Um, I'd say the opposite. <laughs> I'd say I don't ever have multiple endings for story in mind because my stories tend to come one of two ways. So the first one is either I'll have an ending and I'll build characters to reach it and go, for example, if I wanted to topple a, a fantasy hierarchy, for example, I would need these kind of people. I would need this kind of heroine or this kind of hero with these kind of attributes and then kind of go from there. Um, plus, I think I don't ever necessarily have specific endings in mind. I have a general concept. So I think it should end with the death of a, a meaningful character or it should end with rebellion or it should end with redemption or something like that. And then within that concept, you can kind of build whatever story arc you want to get to that eventual theme. Um, but quite often, um, a bit like Lucy, I tend to have an idea for the middle bit and go, what kind of characters would bring about that middle setting and build those characters and then kind of see where they go after that. So you write them up to a point and go, I've got this really good little scene in my head. It would require these kind of characters. I will build them up. I will backtrack. I will see how they get to this point. And then from then on, I will just kind of see what happens. So the the story that I'm working on at, at the moment, um, which is going to be a standalone novel for later this year, hopefully, I basically walked back from having lunch with my family today on my own and just ran through various options so I suppose in a weird way it was like a choose your own adventure so I went okay well I know that in my head they've got to here let's what happens if they did this oh well then this would happen oh but then one of them would die okay well let's go back and then try this again so I suppose in a weird way I do um I do the own choose adventures in my head and um, but more on a point of view of would this work would this lead them to you know death or would it lead them to victory or a bit of both and so on I feel like we're kind of living through a multiple choice scenario at the moment. It, you know, when you see on the news, it's like hard Brexit, soft Brexit, no Brexit. You know, and you're like, well, there are so many options. Like, <laughs> it's still all up in the air. It's like a multiple choice. You know, we just nobody knows. So I think that's kind of interesting that there is this this idea of like being in a specific place and time and not knowing which way the story is going to go. But maybe that's a big metaphor for life. Wow, this, this is getting this so is getting deep, weird. <laughs> we haven't even started talking about Bandersnatch. <laughs> On that note, should we? Let's talk about Bandersnatch, shall we? So obviously, it, it, for those of you who haven't seen Black Mirror or Bandersnatch, this will be a little strange for you. But uh, we do recommend you go watch it, enjoy it, just have a play. It's an adventure. Black Mirror tells some pretty harrowing stories. Uh, they are fascinating, but just 
terrifying because uh, so often you're like, ah, just the tiniest little shift and we could so be in that future. Bandersnatch was interesting because it kind of had this gimmick, this interactive element using kind of this this idea from game books where you have the choices throughout the episode, which can then give you different endings. Um, there are like so many different endings. Uh, I think there are some people who have actually gone through and like plotted every single possible ending. I can't say that I'm that intense, <laughs> but I did. No. I did go and and like try quite a few endings. Um, but yeah, I mean, how did you both feel about the the interactive element? Did you feel like it brought you into the story more? Do you feel like externally from it? Or, I mean, did it? How did it change your viewing experience, I guess? Well, I felt I have mixed feelings about it. Um, I I think to, to, to kind of overview it, I feel like, well, none of my choices really mattered in the end because I felt like there was, you kind of, it kept going back and showing you, you know, what the other path would have done, which I feel is somewhat missing the point of a choice, choose your own adventure. I mean, it's like you you kind of have to, but I mean, I know, you know, a part of that was the narrative because it says it's about reloading the game. You know, like if you die in Pac-Man, you just reload and do it again. So of course it was picking up on that. But I felt like that it, all of that would have worked fine, really well without any audience participation whatsoever. Um, I felt like the audience participation part was, it was a quirk, it was a gimmick, um, but I felt like I could have just been not there and it wouldn't have really made a difference. I mean, I started off by jotting down every note that I did, um, sorry, every choice that I made. And then there were just too many of them. And like Lucy <laughs> says, it kind of, it gives you the option to go back and rework it. And I liked, I quite liked that idea. I liked the idea that it was, it could give you the option. I think one of mine said, go just roll the credits or go back and choose something else. So, you know, on a couple of occasions, I went back and chose something else. And then at the end of it, it's like, no, I need to go to bed. <laughs> I'm just going to roll the credits. And, and I never die. had that. I never you? had roll the credits. No, no. I'm pretty sure that was one option where you could go back. Um, but um, yeah, so a bit like Lucy, I did at times feel like there wasn't a lot of choice. And then when I... Afterwards, I went online and I looked at all the different things and what would have gone differently if I'd done this, that, the other. And I'm probably going to be showing my age here. But when I was a kid, there was a film called War Games. Yeah. Um, for any, yeah. For anybody who knows it. And the ultimate answer, whether instead of the computer taking over the world and blowing everybody up, they get him to play tic-tac-toe repeatedly until basically has a the computer equivalent of mental breakdown. And says there is no way to win at tic-tac-toe. He says the only way to win is not to play. And I kind of came away from Black Mirror going, every single one of the endings is really miserable and depressing and you cannot get a happy ending. The only way to get a happy ending is just not to play with it in the first place and to walk away and, and not be part of it. So I thought that was quite interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but also... I don't know. I would have liked a proper happy ending. I would like the idea that at least one bit led to a happy ending. But then if it did, I kind of feel like it wouldn't then be Black Mirror, if that makes sense, because yeah. <laughs> Black Mirror never has the traditional happy ending. But for a choose your own adventure game, I think there should be at least one in there. And I know that they said there is a happiest ending, but even that had a darkly sinister twist at the end of it. So you can't really win. Yeah. Um, 
And there was a point where I kind of felt, you know, I'm going to have to kill the father because there is no other option. I've done all the other paths and it keeps leading me back to killing my own father or committing my own suicide. And I'm just going to have to do it because there is no other option. And I know I'll just go round and round with the choices that I choose, if that makes sense, because Mm -hmm. I I acted on my own personality and my personality is not the kind that would survive in a black mirror universe. So if you follow your own heart and your own ideas and your own morals, you end up dying pretty quickly. Is what I Okay. You've raised something that's really interesting, um, which is the whole, you, you said you acted as you. So I, felt this was very interesting because when I started watching it I immediately get into kind of characters and I'm like right okay so I've got an idea of of Stefan and what he's what he's like um and it gets to I think the first like major choice where I really felt like this this was a thing was um when he goes to see his psychiatrist and she says do you want to talk about your mother now if it was me um because I think talking it, it really does help, um, you know, about this. So, I mean, I I would have said, yes, I think we should talk it through. But by that point, I was kind of into Stefan's head. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, there's no way he would agree at this point to talk. So I said, no. And she goes, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? And I'm like, no. Yeah. So I, I refused twice to talk about Me too. Uh, my mother, um, which is, yeah, which is what I thought Stefan would do. I felt that was much truer to his character, and which is very interesting because it was like, well, are you supposed to retain your own sense of self throughout watching this, or are you supposed to be immersed in in the story and in the world that has shaped Stefan? Well, that raises an interesting argument on my own part because I think I'm just about to undermine what I said, which is when you mentioned that bit, I... I think I remember thinking at that point, rather than, yes, that's what I would have done. I think I remember going, that will make the better story and choosing it from that point of view. And I I hate to admit it that I apparently picked the writer's or the editor's choice going, yeah, let's go with that one and see what the backstory is, because that's clearly going to help me move forward and decide how to do it. So now I wonder whether I did pick it on my own, from my own terms, or whether there was an extra element in there going, this is fictional I want to know about this thing, so I need to go down here so that I can figure out how to do stuff in the future, um, and so on. So, yeah, it's an interesting idea. How much of ourselves do we put into it, and how much do we put into it as an audience going, actually, I want to see this version? Or, like um, Lucy said, actually become the character. In a weird way, there are almost three or four different ways you could play yourself, never mind the character options. Oh, God, yeah. I was just going to say that it becomes the boundaries blur after a while, so the one decision you make, I'm making this decision as Stefan, but the next decision, like whether to kill your father, suddenly you're yourself again. You're like Charlotte or Lucy or Meg watching this and you think, hey, fuck no, that's not going to, killing your father at this point in time is not going to make things better. So in a way, at that point, I felt pulled out of Stefan's character and thought, oh no, I'm me again. Maybe because the decision, it wasn't just asking you whether you wanted Frosties or Sugar Puffs. It was asking you whether to back off or kill your father. And I mean, that is a, a hefty moral decision. So perhaps the decisions themselves have levels of complexity, moral complexity, um, you know, that, that, that influences the way that you, you know, which path you want to go down. I wonder if they have stats on, like, the the time it took people to make the decisions depending on the the kind of... Oh, yeah. 
intensity level of that decision oh god that's a really interesting thing yeah i definitely made some really quickly and i uh, others i waited to almost the time i had run out yeah but uh, I, yeah. I think i i chose to kill my father very quickly <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was my last resort <laughs> megan doesn't your father regularly listen to this podcast he does <laughs> sorry megan's dad <laughs> sorry I'm not sure why we're apologising. <laughs> we're apologising for the woman we love. <laughs> She's not apologising for herself right now. I'm no. sure she has a valid reason. <laughs> it's the flu talking. It is the flu talking. Oh. I think it's interesting, though, because you both talked about how, you know, you felt like even when you kind of had got to go back or whatever, it was like... It, the choices were limited. And of course, this is something that's kind of, you know, very meta in the episode itself where, you know, Stefan becomes aware that he is being controlled by someone else. And the whole thing is an illusion of control. And eventually how he kind of solves his programming problem is to give less choice. And uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because I also think, you know, going back to like potentially writing your own kind of uh, multiple ending story. I don't personally think I'd like that because I don't want to give the the reader or the viewer more control. You know, if it's a creation that I create, I want to control how they consume that story or how they travel through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then yeah. at the same time, even if you did if you did create the multiple journeys there's still only a limited number of options there i mean there can't possibly be you know infinite possibilities there's there has to be a, a set number and there's you know is it do you ever really have a choice because as you said it just would would send you back to the beginning or yeah yeah which is i think this episode of black mirror was all about wanting to tell its own story it had a story it was very pleased with the story it had written and it <laughs> wanted to tell you that story and oh i suppose it's got to involve you somehow so but so that's what i felt i felt like it's determined to tell me the story no matter what i do so yeah. every time i make a decision i you know okay sometimes i go with the story and sometimes i don't and if i don't then i get sent back and we live some more we fast forward through some more so it gets to be told i felt that was the driving force of this so I, in a way i felt like disenfranchised or disempowered halfway through because i felt really well what what weight are my decisions actually carrying well megan's just made raised an interesting point which made me think so i know that we've had examples from john files and um random whatever about it being for adults first but i mean if you look at the amount of choose your own adventure books that were created for kids it was just an insane amount a huge huge number and thinking about what megan said about wanting to write your own characters and keep them the way they are I think as you get older you tend to look for more in your book protagonist and I think to have a choose your own adventure you need to have a very superficial character and that might be part of where Bandersnatch falls down because the the main character in that was incredibly complex and had so Mm -hmm. many things going on and you can't identify with that but the advantage of kids is that they will readily identify with children as you know on a much simpler level because their writing is much simpler. They're not looking for in-depth character things. If you try to do a choose your own fantasy adventure, again, you would have to take it back to almost YA 
level of literature and not really getting into the character's head because you can't because then that would give the characters an element of control and would force you either to be like the characters or to say well actually this character is nothing like me and take a step back and that wouldn't work so I think with these things to work you've got to have a very you can't create the characters too much because otherwise that just works against the whole thing you're doing because they will take on the life of their own and if you let the audience then control them, the audience may pick, may choose something that isn't actually rational within that character's Absolutely. remit. Absolutely. And I think that's what we were coming up against, or I was personally coming up against in Bandersnatch. That's really interesting. I wonder if maybe there's kind of like an optimal number of choices, <laughs> if that makes sense. So like, you know, once if you could have a very complex character you could potentially have three different endings and it would still make sense but you know more than five and you start getting too counterintuitive it's an interesting question the one thing i felt didn't work with this Mm -hmm. is it's meta it's meta fiction element so him becoming aware that he was being controlled by you the unknown netflix viewer I didn't think it worked. Um, I felt like it, it, it just be, it, I mean, in a way it's like, it's reinforcing the message of the episode, which is the illusion of choice. Uh, and that the fact that, you know, the audience don't get the choice either, whether to be, whether to, you know, have the fourth wall broken for them. Mm. Um, I felt like, the minute he, you know, you've got that option to pick who was speaking to him and you could yes, pick the weird yeah. symbol or you could pick Netflix. I went for the weird symbol because I thought, no, 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 I don't want to be involved in this, like in a way. I don't want Netflix to be involved in this. But of course, I ended up getting led back to that same choice. And I thought, OK, I'm going to have to pick the Netflix option. And then it something about it just didn't I didn't like this kind of where it took on sentience and where he was trying to talk to you the viewer I felt like it was very ambitious I I like the concept but for the reasons that we've actually just kind of explored I felt like this episode was trying to do too many things and that was just one thing too many I felt like the whole thing could have worked so much better if he hadn't then suddenly addressed this kind of or us the the unknown because it, it just added an extra element to it that i felt wasn't necessary and had and kind of overcomplicated it a bit now uh, i'm really sorry but i'm gonna have to disagree there <laughs> i found um some of the stuff that megan sent around afterwards some of the reading material um were interviews with charlie brooker where he talked about wanting to make the audience feel complicit and for me that really was a complicit point and I felt really quite uncomfortable with it because at that point I'd been able to distance myself and the whole idea of, you know, killing your father or um, going into his safe or whatever it was, you know, whether or not to jump, it was always very distant. I found it very sinister and surreal to actually sort of have him having an interaction with me and him asking what are essentially yes, no questions that you then reply yes or no to. Um, I found that quite creepy and very effective and I think it did make me feel more complicit within what he was doing compared to when I was just hitting yes or no for frosties or Mm -hmm. sugar puffs and even when he was deciding whether to commit suicide or whatever I didn't feel quite as bad or quite as tense as I did when I picked whether or not to speak to him and again I knew it was all a construct and it was you know all Charlie Brooker but I thought it was very well done I thought they picked they picked 
answers to questions, his questions that I probably would have given, um, which I think gave it an element of authenticity to me as well. I completely agree with you in that respect. I think that actually, you know, making you complicit, I think it works when, when he is becoming aware that he's being controlled, then yes, you should be complicit. But I think maybe I, that surprised me. The minute he said, oh, I'm, you know, and you see him struggling with his hand, like when Mm. he, you know, you want, he wants to pull his earlobe and that's because you've told him to do it. That's where it started getting a bit weird for me because I felt, well, look, I'd kind of approached this as a choose-your-own-adventure story where the protagonist is definitely not aware that there is a reader choosing what page to go to. Um, The minute it started doing that, it ceased to become a choose-your-own-adventure story because it suddenly brought you into the equation, this this unknown viewer from behind the, the, the computer screen. And I don't think it then it deviated quite sharply from someone who is completely unknown. You know, like they don't, you know, like when you're walking through the fun fair of evil, that character has no idea that they are a character walking through the fun fair of evil. If for them, it's just reality. And for you, it's just, you know, there, there is, there's a, there's a fourth wall that's up and there is no breaching of that. So I think that what they've tried to do is, um, you know, I feel like it, this could work really well. And, without any of the audience participation whatsoever. Like he could still start feeling that someone was controlling him and you'd get no push buttons at all and it would still work. I feel like he's blended two genres together. I find it interesting because if you think about what you were saying, how you, before, when we we were talking about how you approached it by getting into the character and Mm -hmm. you were making your choices as what would make sense to you as the character. And perhaps that didn't work for you anymore because you you couldn't be the character anymore. You couldn't No. You couldn't ask answer the questions from the perspective of the character because suddenly you were being asked to be you. Yes. Talking yeah. to the character. Precisely. Which kind of threw you off because the you, your entire approach up until that point was to get inside the character. Yeah. And maybe that's because it was billed as a choose-your-own-adventure. Like, if that's what people were talking about it. So I think that's what I automatically assumed it would be. So it was a shock to suddenly be directly addressed. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i kind of in two minds in in the sense that it also, I I didn't particularly like it, especially the, in the bit asking me, you know, to if you you know talk to him as netflix i was like ugh, too too meta there i just i don't mm. know it just didn't work for me. too but obvious at the same time i like that it it was just another way for it to play with our um, expectations and mm-hmm. with our approach to a story in that we go into it thinking that we could go into the character and then by the end of it we are then kind of forced outside of the story yet again. And I, I, I think that was a really interesting way to play it and, and you know, very different, something that I've not seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, no, all in all, I think it was an excellent experiment. And I think as you, we've just, we're demonstrating here, it's given us a lot to unpick and many different paths, which is ironic <laughs> since that's what it's supposed to do, you know, many different uh, ways of viewing and interacting with medium, with this particular medium. We should probably talk about the women. Yes. <laughs> lack what about the women? But what about the women? <laughs> well, yes. What about the women? I think that's kind of the point. Uh, so in the entirety of Bandersnatch, there's three women. 
and you had to really kind of look for them. Only one woman gets more than a few lines. All the char- the female characters are peripheral. The mother figure is literally, you know, if, if we go back to the disposable characters episode from last season, uh, those of you who are long-time listeners, <laughs> um, so she's basically the sacrificial lamb and stuffed into the fridge trope taken to the extreme. So, yeah. Completely, she's just used to in order to propel the um, protagonist's story forward. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was very kind of upset by the end of it when you have this kind of supposedly interactive story where you can be part of the decision-making process, or at least that's how you're meant to feel, that you are part of the story. And yet women are almost completely silenced throughout the entire episode. I com- I completely agree. And actually, when you were sending these notes and you said the three women, I struggled to remember who the third one was. And I was like, oh, Christ, it was his wife, wasn't it? The silent wife holding the baby, you know? Yeah. Oh, actually, four women because the baby was female. <laughs> so there we go. Ian, even another silent woman. Um, but yeah, the only bit that I felt like, you know, that I, there was any kind of female control, which wasn't really control, but in a way, because you picked it, but I did get to pick it, was when it says that, that he's with his therapist and the therapist says, but if this was, you know, if this wasn't reality, then sh- if this was entertainment, surely it would be more entertaining. And you can say, fuck yeah, which yeah. I click. And suddenly they had a fight, you know, she got her like Carly sticks out or whatever and was going to like, and I, I pressed jump out the window because I thought he's a massive like geek who probably wouldn't really want to fight in reality. But then it stops you even being able to jump out the window. <laughs> so that was my brief moment of empowerment you know when she she kind of gets her weapons out but um that was it really i yeah so i i was watching the episode with a man uh who probably listened to this oh uh, <laughs> and uh, obviously right at the end i was like oh you know the women didn't have anything to say they were just completely isolated and and silenced and he was like oh but it was the 80s and oh you know the characters alone a programmer so uh, and I was like, oh, these are just excuses. And I just feel like, come on, there's got to be more scope for women in in a story. I was just, yeah, I feel like I a mean, broken record, but I was like, oh! <laughs> I, I suppose you could say the therapist had some power to a certain extent, but the problem is because you were playing him, as it were, you you still had far too many options to ignore what she was saying or not to engage with what she was saying. In fact, that was kind of his default position as not to engage with the therapist and not to take what she was saying seriously. Um, you know, and that's simply part of his character. So I felt like, you know, she she was in a position which could have been made possibly more of and empowered but really she was just too caught up in the kind of periphery of his own storyline Stefan's storyline which is very you know central and and quite powerful I mean it is kind of difficult I think on taking it on its own Bandersnatch was a very very poor representation of women i mean you could have done something as simple as swapped the father for the mother yeah uh, it could have been the father who had gone and you know that would have perhaps been less like a trope um and mm-hmm. would have been a more interesting um sort of relationship between parent and child however 
I say that about Bandersnatch, but if you look at Black Mirror as a whole, it's got some bloody good women in it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's kind of weird. I kind of feel like, yes, this was a really shitty episode for womankind. But on the other hand, there has been some good stuff. So I don't don't necessarily begrudge Charlie Brooker doing this. And I kind of see what your friend meant, that it was the 80s. Um, Although looking back on the covers of the um, Choose Your Own Adventures, there were quite a few girls on there and there were quite a few groups as well. Um, but I don't know which was the protagonist and how much they interacted. I mean, again, it was the 80s. And I think even if it was a female protagonist, it might be, would you like to A, scream for help or run back to the big man who will save you from whatever this is? Um, so, yeah, it just it did feel like a bit of a wasted opportunity to have some good female characters in there. Mm, but, I don't think saying it's the 80s really excuses it at all because you know we you really don't i we say this all the time about fantasy and it's best because it's it's a, just a typical thing about recreating our institutions of gender and we're like we it's fantasy you don't have to do that and, you know medieval times it doesn't have to be like that it's it's you know kind of what you make it and i think black mirror as a series is all it's very it's always about pushing the speculative boundaries so it really didn't have any excuse to to kind of disenfranchise women as it did um it's it's really it's really difficult because I know that it doesn't usually, but I suppose if you have to judge it on this episode, it definitely could. I think it could have made some steps forward into giving women more of a voice. I I, I feel like, especially with uh, surrounding the mother, though though interestingly, if we had reversed the parents and if it had been the mother who left alive, he may have well have just ended up killing the mother, and then we'd still be in this situation going, God, yeah, but at another least murdered he woman interacted with her on a more. Yeah, more engaging level than with any of the other women and and then again you know if you just looked at things like you know your amount of dialogue said by men versus women you know it would be nice to sort of get those numbers up just ever so slightly (laughs) it would have been nice to have a female programmer instead of colin yes that would have been cool and and not totally outside the realms of you know if you want to be like a diehard realist it's not completely unrealistic it's a bit like the people like oh women don't really read fantasy it's like i'm sure there have been female programmers for many many years and it's just this kind of like mistaken view that you know there are no women in this x profession so you know i think they could definitely have done a few things to just you know moderate the the lack of of females in this episode yeah no i think i think the other programmer um whose name i've completely forgotten i'm sorry was it colin wasn't it colin yeah Yeah. colin i think i think colin would not have worked as a woman i think given his power and the respect that he got within the workplace is probably not necessarily something that a woman would have in that time and i really like the fact that he was kind of a mentor um to the lad but yeah, I think if you... <laughs> Not much of a mentor. <laughs> I know, but he did play that role and he did, you know, sort of have a few few good insightful things and I really liked his character and I would have been I would have been sad to see him gender-swapped. I think the father would have could easily be cut out and replaced yeah. by a mother and create a much more interesting and unusual dynamic. It did feel yeah. very... Pl- ploddy isn't the right word, but very predictable. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's more father-son angst. Whereas I think if it had been mother-son angst, that would have felt a little bit better. 
Yeah. And I wouldn't have begrudged to, you know, him hitting her with an ashtray at the end of it. But it might also have even helped explain the whole thing with Colin. Like, do you want to go to the doctor with your mother or do you want to go and hang out with the cool new father figure that you have found? It might explain his sort of influence a bit more. Yeah. And it would have probably gotten rid of the rather easy way they slid into back into the whole kind of toxic masculinity ideas of he can't have that teddy because it's sissy he's a he's a boy he's too old for that sort of thing anymore i'm gonna take it off him so i mean that that was a you know like wait i mean i just feel like that kind of story writing can be a bit lazy after a while it's it's like i need a reason why he didn't want to go out with his mother that morning oh let's this is the reason and it's it's kind of like I don't think it's hugely complex. I think it's one of those kind of knee-jerk um, reasons that we come up with. You know, oh, he can't have his toy because it's it's for, he's undermining his masculinity. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of you know the strength of the narrative, I think this is one of the weakest Black Mirror episodes. Um, and you know, I have to wonder if that is because of the you know the the sheer kind of scale and scope of this kind of a an experiment this project yeah um, yes maybe you need to work with tropes because it's so complicated in every other arena that you know there are some tropes can anchor they have an anchoring influence because we're so used to seeing them so that that's that's their their strong kind of suit is that you know there's got to be some familiarity of reference with 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 media experiments like this otherwise the reader has or the or the viewer has absolutely nothing to kind of stabilize and grasp onto you have to have a frame of reference in order to kind of trial out it's, it's like an arena in which to kind of make these ideas work and interact with each other so you know from that uh, perspective you could say well you know they're picking something that people can quite easily get into and understand the loner in his room the single parent family the loss of a mother which is always hugely traumatizing. So we sort of talked about like that some of the pitfalls and some of the interesting elements of Bandersnatch. So using kind of choose your own adventure type principles for television. I mean, do we think that this, you know, could usher in a new era? Are we going to see more choose your own adventure style televisions? Or do we think that this is just, you know, a little bit too untenable for kind of more general use? Well, I had two thoughts on this. Um, I mean, it took two years, I think, to make Bandersnatch. So I can't imagine that it would be something that they do all the time because I think it would just be way, way too complicated. I did wonder whether it might be quicker and easier to churn out um, cartoons and sort of make it either sort of anime for adults or cartoons for kids. I mean, could you imagine putting a kid down in front of the TV and going, off you go, choose your own adventure? My daughter would love that. She'd have fabulous time and she would have no problem going back through it all again and repeating it mm-hmm. again and again to do it although if she kept being killed then yeah I guess she would complain to me a bit um so I did wonder whether that might be a quite good one alternatively I thought it would be either brilliant or incredibly frustrating to have cinemas with vote buttons because if you've got a load of people in the cinema I think it would be a fascinating social experiment to see what everybody chooses 
So if you've got an action film, does he choose to jump out of the helicopter? Does he choose to dive in with the sharks? Does he choose to run back? It would be really fascinating to see how those kind of things pan out. But I'm not sure that it would be necessarily a good audience experience because you go along, you make your choice. And if you're overruled every time, you're going to get really seriously bored immediately. But I can't imagine how it would work in a cinema unless it was a, a matter of democracy. So I don't know. It's I can kind of see avenues for it, but... I just simply think, given the amount of time it took to make Bandersnatch, they're going to have to find a way to do it quicker or more cheaply, I would imagine, if you want to see quite a lot more of it. Yeah, I think we, if we do see it, I think it's more likely to be in the gaming kind of arena because perhaps it's just easier to build that kind of mechanic into gaming when you don't have um, you know, <laughs> actors, basically, to to pay and to, and then it's i think the expense is probably as i mean i'm i didn't know that it took that long to make which is obviously raises its own kind of practical concerns about you know filming space about people's availability about the money costs involved in in having you know the, in making um an episode or a film length you know feature episode so i think it's more i think i I think that with the growth of um you know seeing all of these adverts for these kind of games on on um like instagram and and so anything to do with your phone basically i feel like they're going to become more popular in the sense but but in a kind of like gaming sense rather than in a you know we're going to see many many more episodes of our favorite dramas uh, or comedies taking on these um you know interactive aspects I mean, not that I don't have a, a long enough to-do list, but I kind of feel like I now want to write a Breaking the Glass Sliver Choose Your Own Adventure where you've got like a female warrior in a fantasy setting. Do you, you know, kick the, the golem in the arse or do you get out your magic sword or do you just walk away and let the bloke deal with it and go, I'm going down to the pub? There'd be all sorts of wonderful things you could play with in the tropes and just turning it around and giving you a traditional option and a non-traditional thing where each of them leads you. Oh, I thought you were going to do it. You, you meant it about us. Like Megan and Charlotte and Lucy and what we what will they do, you know, today? Like will will Meg talk about, you know, get her like sexual innuendos in and talk about forest men and you know and, and if she does then, you know, like where's the episode gonna go then? Are they all gonna fall about laughing or are they gonna have to re record it? <laughs> that kind of thing. That that would also be entertaining, I feel. Well, I mean, for me, I don't think we'll ever get uh, a choose-your-own-adventure type television or film event that's quite like Clue from the 80s, because I loved that film. And you know what? That's that's all right. It didn't involve choices so much as that uh, wherever it went in cinemas, they got different endings. So there were three different endings, and uh, you never know, knew which one you were going to get. Of course, I had the VHS, and it just had all of them in a row. But I still loved that, and uh, I think that for me is where uh, choose-your-own-adventure-style television and film is is really going to go for me. Oh, I really liked Clue when you had it on just one play where you could have all the endings, and it kind of went, you sort of got to the traditional, traditional ending, and you were like, oh, okay, fair enough. And then it just flashed up a little card that said, or it could have gone like this. And yeah. you're like, oh, that's so cool. And then you get to the end of it and it goes, or it could have gone like this. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. Yeah. But I again, I suppose you just... <laughs> It was a different experience because you had no choice, but it was still fun to be presented with the options. And then in a weird way, you could walk away and decide which one, you know, you wanted. And in my head, it was always the one where Tim Curry won, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Well, moving forward, if there are, um, you know, an influx of choose-your-own-adventure stories, I just hope that there are 
some, you know, space for some women's voices in there. And that's a wrap. Breaking the Glass Slipper is written and produced by Megan Lee, Lucy Hounsom and Charlotte Bond. If you like what you hear, please show us a little love. Subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform and follow us on social media. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you would like to hear on the next episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper.